0: Today, we have our great friend and very special guest of honor, Pastor Tom Watson and his wife, Deborah, as they're here today to minister. You heard them back in June on Father's Day, and you get to hear them today. So let's give a big City Hope welcome to Pastor Tom. City Hope Church! Boy, I am so glad to be back at City Hope Church. I am not trying, I'm not the kind of guy that brags. I'm not the kind of guy that likes to brag uh, or anything, but I like your church so much. The other day I was on Facebook and it said I was the top fan. <laughs> and I- I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but uh, toot. I mean, I love this church. I am so glad to be back here. I am so glad to be here, especially during the Christmas season. You guys look good. I have, have you been eating a lot during the holidays? Have you, I mean, I've been eating so much. But this is a church. We're here to encourage one another. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, you look good. Have you lost weight? <laughs> that might have been a lie. But that's okay. We're in church. It's okay. We can repent of that in a minute. But... Uh, I am glad to be here. I'm so glad to he- be here. Deborah and I love to get back to City Ho Church. As soon as we left the last time, we thought, "I can't wait to get back here." Uh, you just got, we come here and it just feels like home. And and I'm so glad to be here during Christmas, the Christmas season. Do you like Christmas? I, are, are you a Christmas fan? I, I I love Christmas. I know not everybody does. Some people don't. Love Christmas. I like everything from the music and the lights. I like it from Bing Crosby to Danny Kay. I mean, like I I just I love every bit of Christmas. And I know not everybody does. Some some people like Christmas because of the gifts. Like they enjoy that this time of year they get gifts. I, I like gifts. I like to give gifts more than I receive gifts. Um, because I don't, I don't know how to respond. Like, I never know how to, how to thank somebody. And, and my wife, Deborah, she says that I overanalyze things, but I really feel like the gift that you give and the gift that you receive says a whole lot about your relationship with that person. You know, like, like nothing says Christmas like a $10 iTunes gift card from that aunt you see once a year. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, you know, when, when they give you that, it's, what does that really say? It says, well, I don't really know you, but I'd feel bad if I didn't give you something, Right? Or, 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 like, you get the gift from maybe a kid, and, and, and they, they, they draw a card for you, you know, and there's misspellings on it, and, and like, the elf only has one leg. But, but they tried hard, right? And it's cute, and it's adorable, and so you put it up on the fridge, because you, you appreciate what they're trying to say there. I heard about this one woman. She got a gift from her boyfriend, and the Christmas gift that she received was the gift of laser hair removal. You know what that gift says? It says, it's time to break up. Like... This is the wrong relationship to be in, you know? But, but giving gifts can be messy. It, it, Christmas can be messy. I know a lot of people try to, w- would really rather avoid this time of year. You know, they think about this time of year and, and, and really what Christmas would be better if they could just swerve around it and just drive right into the New Year's. That would be great. Which makes me think of this time, that, something that happened to me recently. I live in, in Alabama. I live on this uh, country road. It's just a back road, and it's, uh, it's, it ends in a dead end where I live. And there's really only like five, other, five, six other neighbors out there. And if you're out there, you're out there to see me, or you're lost. I mean, like that's the, the only reason you'd be out there. and So, so, so the road's kind of narrow. And, um, and, and a few weeks back, um, one of my neighbors on this road nailed an armadillo. I mean, he nailed it. Now, I, I, have you noticed that, that armadillos, they only end their life in just a couple of ways? Like, like when they meet their maker, I mean, what, they're either like the, the bloated thing on the side of the road, you know, or else they're utterly exploded. Have you ever noticed that? No? It's just me? Well, you're just not as observant as me. Well, well, this one ended his life in the more gruesome fashion. I mean, it was just an explosion right there in the middle of the road. And I don't know who was supposed to clean this up, but it wasn't going to be this guy. And, and, and so me and, and I guess my neighbors, we all did the same thing. We just kind of swerved around it. We just got in the other lane and just went around it and right there. and there's, It just sat there literally dead center of the road for, for like a week. And, and, and this is where the story gets a little bit more weird and more gruesome, if I could be honest with you, a little bit more gross. But at some point, I'm not making this up, at some point a second armadillo came up to, ch- to check on the first armadillo. Now, I can only speculate as to why. Maybe it was like a mourning relative, like it was grieving. Or maybe it was just curious, but when it was checking it out, somebody else nailed the second armadillo. So now there's two dead armadillos, like double armadillo death, right there on a small road. You can imagine what that was smelling like, right? And all my neighbors, we all did the same thing. But that makes me think, because maybe I'm just a little weird, but, but what if it was the same guy? Like, does that guy need therapy at this point? Like, two armadillos in the same week. But, but what we would do is when we came up on it, we'd just all swerve into the other lane and just move on. And, uh, and and that worked pretty good for a little while until, and this is what happened to me, one, one Wednesday, it was late, we got done with church, and it was late at night, and we were, we were headed home, and I... It, it, I just came upon it a little too fast. Like there, the Armadillo House of Horrors right there on my road. And, and, and it was there, and it was late, and a car was coming from the other direction. And I just came so quick, I couldn't get over in the other lane. And so, smush. Yeah, all in that, you know. And, and so when we got to the house, like I, I hit it on the right front passenger side. And so right there on the other side. So when I got out of the car, I, I, you know, I didn't smell anything. Everything is fine. But when Deborah and my kids got out of the car... They said, oh, the reaction was amazing. They said, oh, gosh, it's gross. And so I got out, and I didn't experience any of that. So I just I said, oh, you guys are overreacting. And I came around to the other side of the car, and I said, oh, gosh. It was just nasty and gross. But it was late, and it was time to go to bed. The kids had school the next day. And so there's no car washes open at that time of the night. And I just, we just left it there in the driveway smelling an armadillo death. And we went on to bed, we went to sleep, and I, honestly, I forgot all about it until the next morning when it was time to take the kids to school. And we came out, and there it was. Oh gosh, it was worse than before. It was just a mess. It was gross and disgusting right there. And so, man, it was so bad. I went immediately to the car wash right after I dropped the kids off to school. If your kids have ever gotten to that place where they're like, Dad, please, park a little bit further away so I can walk in because they're too cool at that, it has nothing on what my kids were doing that morning. They were like, Dad, please, I'll do anything. We'll do the dishes. I'll take out the trash. Just don't. And so, I, 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 you know, being a good dad, I parked right in the front and just let all those friendly people that help your kids out of the car, I let them enjoy the smell of armadillo death. That's, that was a little Merry Christmas gift to them and to you. Merry Christmas and... Uh, that's a gift, but Christmas can be messy, right? Christmas can be messy, and I know a lot of you right now, you, you, you think of this time of year, and, and when you think about Christmas, it's not, it's not a gift. It's a mess to be avoided. If you could just swerve around Christmas, that would be great. Maybe, maybe this time of year, things are strained financially, or, or maybe there's the stress or even and dysfunction in your family, and the last thing you think about when you think about Christmas is, is, is that it's a gift, but that's exactly what Christmas is. Christmas is a gift that God has given to us. And if I'm right that the gift that you give and the gift that you receive says a whole lot about your relationship with that person, then what does the, gris- the gift of Christmas say about our relationship with God? And more specifically, what does the gift of Jesus Christ say about how we can relate to God? You know, Jesus came from a really messy family tree with a whole lot of dysfunction. Some, some of you might even find his kind of dysfunction in his family line, very familiar to you, but Jesus came from a really dramatic past, and he came into these messy circumstances, and it was a pretty jacked-up situation for a baby to be born into, but he was born into our mess, into an incredibly imperfect world, and if you have your Bibles in the book of John chapter 1, that's where we're going to be. And there are, there are four books that start the New Testament, and they're named after their authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each one of them give an account. They talk about the life of Jesus, and they're talking about Jesus' life from very different perspectives. Like Mark, for example, he, he talks about it from, from the perspective of uh, 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 right into the adulthood. A- and the other ones talk about it from different places. It would be almost as if you left here today and you went, you and three of your friends, and you went and watched some Christmas movie. Say say it was a How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And you went and watched this movie and then later somebody asked you, tell me about what that movie was about. Now you would all watch the same movie but you'd seen it from different perspectives. That's, that's just the same way. So like maybe one of your friends focuses on how Whoville in The Grinch Stole Christmas and all the funky haircuts styles and everything like that. And then another one of your friends, he tells about the the story, but he talks about it from the the perspective of what the roast beast was. Like, I don't know what kind of animal that is, but he focuses on that. And and another one of your friends talks about how how improbable it would be for that little dog to carry that giant sleigh, you know? And, And then you, when you're talking about the story, you talk about how the Grinch's heart grew three sizes that day. See, it's the same movie. They're just talking about it from different perspectives. This is what the Gospels do. So Mark's talking about it from his perspective. He's over the, the birth narrative completely, he gets into the adulthood of Jesus, but whereas Matthew and Luke, what they talk about when they're talking about it is they talk about it from a different, they, like, like the how of Jesus and the what, but they're, they're addressing different audiences. But John, John does something completely different. He addresses the, the story of Jesus almost from like a cosmic level, just a completely different level altogether, and, and, and he talks about why the why of Christmas, why we need Christmas. And so if you have your Bibles, or it'll be up on the screen, in John chapter one, it sounds like this. He says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone." The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So in the first five verses of this chapter, as John is going through this, and this might be the first time you've ever heard this, or maybe you've heard this numbers of times, but in the first five verses, it almost seems, how is he even talking about Jesus? Like, what does this have to do with Christmas at all? He uses this word, it starts with a capital W, like, what does that mean exactly? Well, see, what John is doing here is he's using a nickname for Jesus. And every time that he talks about the word, he's referring to Jesus. In fact, I I think it might make more sense if we just inserted Jesus' name right there and see if it doesn't make more sense. See if this doesn't make more sense when we do that. So it says, if we did that, it says, in the beginning, Jesus already existed. Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. Jesus gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. See, doesn't that make a little bit more sense? So so why is it that John even does this in the first place? Like, Why did John use this word here to explain Jesus. Well, what he's trying to do is he's trying to show us that the word means the logic of God. In other words, when God chose to completely reveal himself to us, when God decided that he was going to show himself to us, he did it through Jesus. So if you and I are ever to know God, really know him, we have to know Jesus. And because that's the way that God explained himself through his word. See, that makes a little bit more sense if you think about it through the lens of other relationships that you might have. Like, how many of you like to people watch? You're people watchers? Yeah. So if you're not a people watcher, this is the way it works. So you go to somewhere public, like a restaurant or a mall, and instead of paying attention to the person that you're with, Deborah, you look... You look right over that person and you start checking out other people in the area, right? You're looking at, and you're watching how they act and what they wear and how they behave. And you can learn a lot about that person just by, by observing them and seeing what they're, they're, they look like and how they respond. But um, like, like so, so think of it this way. So maybe you're in a grocery store, right? And in walks a woman and she's got disheveled hair and she just looks tired, and she's got mismatched shoes, and she means to grab the milk, but instead she grabs a bag of Cheetos. You know, you might come to the conclusion that this is an exhausted mother of a toddler, right? And no shame there, mom. You'd be right. That's who it is. It's an exhausted mom. No shame there, moms. We've all been there. But Or think about it. Maybe you're in a coffee shop, right? And you're, you're there in the coffee shop and in walks this guy, man. He's got the, a bunch of brand new sweet tattoos and he's got the real long beard and the cool glasses and the man bun. And, and he is streaming uh, uh, some obscure band on his iPhone plus pro 11. You know, like when you see this guy, he's drinking some kind of organic soy latte. Like you could come to the conclusion that this person is definitely still on his parents' insurance. No, no. He's a hipster, right? That's who this guy is. Yeah. But let's just be honest. He's not paying for his cell phone bill. But, but, like, the truth is, is, like, you could get a lot from looking at this person, seeing how they're dressed, telling a lot about them. It explains a lot about them. But the truth is, you can't really know a person until you enter into a relationship with them. Like, you don't know about that person. You don't understand them until you have a conversation with them. And when you do, at that point, you start to talk to somebody. That's when you can get to know them and see their heart, see why they have the convictions that they have. And the truth is, that's exactly what John is doing. See, in order to know somebody, you have to, you could say it this way, if you really want to know somebody, you got to know their words, right? That's what God was doing through Jesus. Jesus is the word of God, and this is what John is saying. See, when God chose to most clearly explain himself to us, when he, when he chose to most clearly reveal himself to us, he did it through Jesus, now, now if, it, as we were reading that, if you look back one verse, and if you re- read that too fast, you could overlook something that, that, that you could almost skip over it, and it's super important. John said, in the beginning. So in the very beginning, in the beginning of all things, the beginning of all creation, the beginning of everything you see and everything that you feel and everything that you hear and everything that you touch, in the very beginning, Jesus was there. Did you see that? It means that Jesus already existed. Jesus was there in the beginning. Jesus is eternal. That means this is something so huge. It means for us that, that Jesus was actually the plan. In fact, you might want to write that down. Jesus was always the plan. See, sometimes I think that what we, we get in our heads is that Jesus was God's response to sin. See, it's, it's almost as if to say that, like, like we think that, that when God, see, see, anytime you sin, God is holy, right? He's perfect. And God says, if you want to be with me, you got to be holy. That's the only way this thing works. If you want to be with me, I'm holy. You got to be holy too. And anytime that you miss the mark, the standard that I set up, that's called sin. And something has to be done about that. And, And so what we get in our heads is that God created this beautiful, amazing, perfect creation. And then man came along and we sinned. And when we sinned, something has to be done about that. And so God says, okay, well, I'll I'll create Jesus, I'll send Jesus, and Jesus will take care of that, almost like cause and effect. But that's not what John's saying at all. John's not saying that. John says that Jesus always existed. In fact, all of creation happened through Jesus, and therefore he was always the plan. Jesus was always the plan. But see, the thing is, if you read this Christmas story, whenever you read the Christmas story, it doesn't seem like God has a plan. Right? I mean, like if you look at it, he 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 put a very unqualified teenager in charge of Jesus, right? And the delivery room is incredibly unsanitary, right? And it's staffed mostly with livestock. Like this does not look like God has a plan here at all. It seemed, in fact, like God just kind of slapped this thing together at the last moment, but but the truth is it was very intentional. God was being very intentional. He was telling a bigger story through the story of Christmas. And it was very much on purpose. See, there's some of you that, that, that might need to hear that today, that Jesus was always the plan. Because you're looking at your life right now, and, and you're wondering. Maybe 2019 has not been a, a year for you of highlights. Maybe there was a divorce or a breakup, or, or maybe you were fired, or maybe there was a diagnosis that a doctor gave you, and right now you're, you're shaking. And you're thinking to yourself, God, are you even paying attention to this? God, are, are you seeing what's going on? Or do, you, do you have a plan in any of this? And right there, in the hope, right there in John 1, we have the hope. Because if God, from the very beginning of all creation, had a plan for redemption of all things, then He has a plan for you. Oh, I'm preaching better than you're responding. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say that again because it was so good. If God, from the very beginning of creation, had a plan for the redemption of everything, then God has a plan for you. He has a plan, and He can be trusted. And it may not look like it to you right now. And you may not feel like things are lining up the way that, you should, that it should, but God has a plan, and he can be trusted. And this is why the story of Christmas is so important. This is why it is so incredible. But not everybody sees that. Like, like, like some people around this time of year, you, you, you lose sight of that, and you, you, can't, you begin to question why. Why is any of this important? Pastor Ben and Annalise drove us around Wichita Falls. We were looking around at all the Christmas lights the other day. Beautiful, just absolutely incredible. And some of the, gosh, I was just overwhelmed. I have a friend back home in in Alabama, and his name's Tim. And he he just feels that Jesus is the light of the world. And so this time of the year, he wants to share that with everybody. And he goes all out in his house. I mean, like the real deal. Like he's got LED lights that move and animatronics and the whole thing. I mean, it's incredible. And so, like, when he puts this whole thing up, like, you can key into it. Like, people will drive up to his house and park just to watch it go. Like, it goes with music and everything. It's incredible. Well, this, he, he puts it out every year around Thanksgiving, and this year, he knew that his family was going to be gone. They're going to be out of town, so he wanted to get a jump on it. And so a couple weeks before Thanksgiving, he was out there, and he's putting it all up, and he's setting it up. And it was nighttime, so he's testing the lights out. Well, well during this process, somebody drove by his house, and, and they saw what he was doing, they slowed down. They took the time to slow down right in front of his house, and he rolled down his window, and they said, hey, it's not even effing Thanksgiving, You moron. Yes, he said that, and only he didn't say fudge. And I and I said, Tim, what did you do when that happened? Like, why? What did? You, how did you respond? He said, I put out another strand. <laughs> I can appreciate that, but see, the thing is, is like that guy when he looks at the story of Christmas, he says, Man, it's all about you. Got to have it in the right time. You got to do the right things at the right moments. He misses the why. And John's trying to show us the why here. Look at what he says in chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. He's going to go further into the explanation on why we need Christmas. Look what he says. He says, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They're reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. See, see, one of the biggest challenges we have with the Christmas story is that we're so familiar with it. We're so familiar that it can weaken the, the, the magnitude of what John is saying right here. And if you're somebody that doesn't enjoy the Christmas, spirit, the Christmas season, people will come up to you and they'll say it all the time. They'll say, what's wrong? Don't you have enough Christmas spirit? They're so accurate they don't even know. Because what they're really saying is is that you don't have enough Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christmas. That's the spirit of Christmas. And the problem is we've become so accustomed to the story that we lose sight of that. And the thing is, is this happens every year. Every year, this time of year comes around like clockwork. It's Christmas again. It's the Christmas season. And and maybe you've grown up your whole life, and you've experienced, celebrated Christmas over and over and over again, And, and... And maybe, just maybe, Jesus has become like another character, like a claymation reindeer or Santa Claus. And like in the middle of this, it just becomes something else. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is so much more than the ghost of Christmas past and Jimmy Stewart. I mean, Jesus is so much more. And just because this time of year shows up every single year, we lose the magnitude of what's happened. And so for just a moment, I want you to humor me. For just a moment, I want you to just put away the thoughts of, man, the Christmas shopping that I have to do, maybe the finals that are coming up, and all of the stuff that you got to do in the holiday and the get-together and all this stuff, and just for a moment, just stop and listen to what John just said. John said this. He said the creator of the universe became part of his creation. So God out of absolutely nothing, created absolutely everything, and he decided to willingly become part of his creation. That was the plan. That was the plan. See, the magnitude of that, again, cannot be overstated. It's just incredible. And see, what happens is John says when he showed up, his creation didn't even know him. The people were walking by. They didn't even see him. They missed him on the streets. They missed Jesus. And when Jesus showed up to the people, to his people, to the chosen people, to God's people, the Jewish people, when he shows up, they ignored him. And they didn't just ignore him. They rejected him. And they didn't just reject him. They falsely accused him, and then they murdered him. I mean, this is, this is, Jesus knows what it's like to feel rejected. Jesus knows what it's like to feel ignored. Some of you today might feel ignored and rejected, as if if the people around you, you're, you're anonymous wherever you go, and Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. Jesus knows what it feels like to be rejected by the very people that were supposed to love him the most. I'm telling you, Jesus knows what it's like. God became, willingly decided to become part of his creation. He was ignored, and he was rejected, and he knows what that feels like. But it says that not everybody completely missed him. It says, there were some who believed and accepted him, and those people were adopted as children of God. I love the way that John puts this. That is so important that that you you can't miss it. This this is what we call the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that right there, there's, there's nothing that you can do. There's absolutely nothing you can do. All you can do is believe. All you can do is accept him to receive him. Did you notice how how John didn't say anything about those who earned their way in? He didn't say that those that worked hard enough could be accepted as children. He didn't say if you served enough at church, if you gave enough, if you showed up enough. He didn't say any of that. All he said was those who accepted him, who believed him, they were adopted. And I love the way he puts that. He says that they were adopted. They were accepted and they became part of the family. They were once orphans, but now they're part of the family. They were once guilty, but now they're innocent. They were once part, just begging to be part of God's family and God brought them in. Those who believed became adopted. And it's played out right there. See, if you don't, if you don't like Christmas, if you don't enjoy Christmas, you don't have to, but you need Christmas. We absolutely need Christmas. And in verse 14, John's going to give us three more details. He's going to be giving us three powerful details that you can't miss. And when Jesus shows up, these three details are absolutely life-changing. They should absolutely change everything about you and around you. And for each one of these, I want you to ask yourself two simple questions. You just ask yourself, what does this say about God? And how does this change my relationship with him? And so for each one of those, we're going to think about those two questions. And as I read verse 14, I want you to think about that. So this is what it says. It says, so the word, now remember that's Jesus, the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. See, John is showing us three incredible observations, and if you move too fast, you might miss that. So the first thing that he says is that the word became human. The word that, that, that means Jesus, He became human. This is the most one of the most pivotal things about Christianity. So you might have heard this narrative that that all faiths lead to the same place, that all of all religions are the same, but but they, you can't say that about this truth right here. See, this is the only thing that's, that's special about Christianity. This is the only thing that's different. All the other religions might say similar things. All of them say some good stuff. And all of those faith systems, the world may say, may lead to the same place, but they really don't because you got to wrestle with this one thing, that God became human. God became human. And if that's true, and it is, then what does that tell us about God? And how does that change the way that we can relate to him? Well, it means this, write this down. Number two, it means that God is accessible. It means that God is accessible. I can know him. You you see, when, when God became a human, he lived like one of us. That means that he had the same physical limitations that you and I do. Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry. Jesus lived in this life, and he knew what it was like to be tired. He knew what it was like to work all day and be physically exhausted. Jesus understood that. Jesus knew what it was like to be hangry. You ever been hangry? You know, you're so hungry, you're angry, you're hangry. I I haven't, but my wife says that has happened a time or two. But Jesus understood that, right? He knew what it was like to have these physical limitations. Jesus knew temptation. He, he was tempted with the biggest power grab ever. Instant gratification. Jesus understood what that felt like. He knew what it was like to have relational disappointment. He had great friends that failed him right when he needed them most. Jesus understood deep laughter Jesus knew what that was like to laugh. He had friends. He surrounded himself with great friendships and little kids, and when you're around those groups, there's going to be good laughs. Jesus understood what it was like to to feel all of that because he was both fully God and fully man. And if that's the case, then what does that say? I just want you to consider for a second what does that mean because why would Jesus, why would God go through those lengths to become so accessible to us? Why would God do that? When Jesus was born, God was giving us this incredible gift. See, he's God. He could have just said, I'm God, deal with it. Like, I I showed myself to you. I even wrote a book for you. That should be plenty, but that's not what God did. He did so much more. See, when God wanted to reveal himself to you, when he clearly wanted to show himself to you, he didn't just give us an explanation. He gave us a person. And there's a huge difference. There's a giant difference because there's, see, a lot of times when we want clarity about something, We want an explanation, but that's not what God did. God gave us a person, not an explanation. And so, and this is just my experience, but I would love for you to try this out for yourself because every time I ask God to reveal himself to me in a greater way, every time he shows me an aspect about him, he absolutely blows me away. He absolutely blows my expectations out of the water every single time. He's got this way about him where he can tell, him, tell me something about himself, or he can tell something about me, and it can be so challenging. And in the end, I'm so glad that he did it. Or, or he has this incredible ability to bring two things that are so seemingly opposite, like grace and truth, and he brings them together in perfect harmony. See, I thought it had to be one or the other. And, and I just want you to, to think, maybe, maybe you have, at some point, you've rejected Jesus, Maybe you've rejected this whole church thing. Maybe you're here just as a favor. Maybe you're dating somebody and they've begged you to come to City Hope and and they've asked you to come here. Or or maybe you've, you've been around church in your life, but you've never really experienced Jesus. And I just want to ask you, are you sure that you've rejected this Jesus, this God who would become so accessible to you? Or maybe possibly that you've rejected an imitation God not not the real thing, not a real Jesus. Maybe there was, there was an experience, maybe even in church. Or maybe there was somebody that was supposed to be a good representation of who God is, and they did a poor job. And you've rejected this entire thing. And if that's the case, I just want to say, will you just give Jesus a chance to reveal himself to you? Because I think if you'll do that, I believe He will exceed your expectations. And so John and John says that, first of all, that God became flesh, he became human. And the second thing he said is that he made his home among us. I love the way that John put that because he didn't say that, that Jesus just visited earth. He doesn't say that Jesus just stopped by like he was slumming it with us for a bit. It's not what he says at all. He says that Jesus made his home among us. See, there's a big difference. We all know there's a difference between visiting someplace and actually living there. You know, there's a huge difference between those two. Like when I visit somewhere, like if I go to a hotel, like I'll sleep there, but I don't clean up after myself. Right? That's somebody else's job. I'm just not going to do it. I'll go out to eat. I'll go to some restaurants, but I'm not going to make l- deep, lasting friendships. Why? Why? I'll never be back there. See, there's no point in that. What would be the point there? But that's not what Jesus did. Like, when Jesus came, he actually interacted. He made his home among us. He invested with us. He, He made deep relationships, and everywhere he went, he changed things. People had different relationships, and everything completely, radically transformed the way that we could relate to God when he came. See, before Jesus came, if you wanted to be close to God, you had to go through some rituals and regulations. Like if you wanted to be made right with God, you had to show up at the right time with the right sacrifice in front of the right person. If you did all that, then you were covered. It would be okay. Everything was okay with God. But when Jesus came, when he showed up, when he died and when he rose again, he completely changed all of that. He completely altered all of those things. In fact, you might say it this way, Christmas put an end to religion. You might write that down. Christmas ended religion. And so it, it ended all of those rules and uh, relations. All that was left now, no regulations, was, was relationship. He completely changed all that. And because we no longer have to bring those sacrifices to get good with God, because we don't have to talk, go through somebody to talk to God, he completely changed it. See, you might not enjoy Christmas. You may not like Christmas, but you need Christmas. And the final thing is this. Number one, he became human. Number two, he, he made his home among us. And the third thing is, we have seen his glory. Now, the first one's pretty cool. Like, I can get that, that, that he came and, and, and he became human, and that's great. And the second thing, I could get that. I'm honored that he'd spend time with me. But, but number three, I'm not sure why I care about that. Like, why should I care that I've seen his glory? What is the glory of God? I'm not seeing how, I should, how that should change my life in any way. Well, this is bigger than you might think. See, when Jesus was born, he literally split time in two. You're a pretty big deal when you change all of time. Okay, And not only time, but he split your Bible in two, right? There's the Old Testament, and then there's the New Testament. And, and, and in the Old Testament, when God would show up on the scene, there was fire and smoke and, and thunder, and it was like a WWE entrance. You know I mean? like and, and like when it was incredible. But like when you go to the New Testament, if you were to flip over to the New Testament, when, when God decided to show up on the scene and completely reveal himself to us, when he really wanted to show who he was, how did he do it? How did he choose to reveal himself so? So clearly, he shows up as a baby. As a baby. Like, what, what, what does that even mean? Like, a baby is not loud. A baby is, is well. <laughs> but a baby's not big and, 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 and explosive like that. A baby is approachable. A baby is accessible. A baby's vulnerable. Like, no one's scared of a baby in any way, shape, or form. I've had three kids, and I held every one of them in my arms, in the delivery room, and I would not define them as powerful. That's not the word that I would use to describe them. In fact, the word that I would use is dependent. If I wasn't there, they were going to die. They needed me. And when God decided in this moment in history to show up and completely reveal himself, the way he did it was completely vulnerable. This is how God chose to show himself to us. Why? The question is, why would God do that? Why would God show up and be so vulnerable? God had to become vulnerable so that he could become killable. God had to be killable. He had to become vulnerable so that he could become vulnerable enough so that he could be killed. God had to do this. And see, the thing is, is this was always the plan. The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians says this was God's eternal plan. It was always the plan from the very beginning. In fact, it was the center of the plan that he had to become vulnerable so that he could be killable for your sins and mine. He had to become this. This is why Jesus shows up as a baby. This is why God puts skin on. This is why God has given us this incredible gift of Christmas. It's an unbelievable gift. And if that's true, what does this say about God, and how does that change the way that we can relate to him? It means this, that God is holy, and I can follow him. You see, God is so holy. Holy just means completely different. God is completely different from me. But I can follow him. See, if, if I were God, when I showed up on the scene, it'd be fireworks and music and all of that, but that's not how God decided to do it. Like when God showed himself to us, he shows up as a baby in a little town called Bethlehem. His story is so much better than mine. It's holy, and I can follow him. I can follow him, and my question to you is this. If you've rejected that Jesus, if maybe you've come to church and you've done the church thing, are you sure you've rejected Jesus? This Jesus. And I just want to ask you just for 30 seconds, just consider, did you reject that God that would become so vulnerable that he would become killable for your sins and mine? This is the God we worship. And so to wrap this up, the last thing is, number four is this. It means this. It means that Christmas means anything can change. Christmas means anything can change. See, for us, we, with our relationship with God, there was this gap that was insurmountable. It meant that there was, there was no way that we could get back with God. There was nothing we could do, nothing we could give. We couldn't give enough. We couldn't serve enough. We couldn't sacrifice enough. And so Jesus, he came and he paid the debt that only he could pay. And when he did that, he reaped the reward for us that only he could, he could win. Eternal life and right standing with God. And this means that Christmas means anything can change, even you. You might might be the one that's sitting there and you're thinking, man, you've checked out of this whole life change thing. You're thinking, pastor, that sounds like a really good deal for 99.9% of the population, but you don't know me, man. Like if you knew me and you knew everything I said, if you knew everything I did, if you knew every relationship I blew up like an armadillo on your country road, then you'd know that that grace thing works for 99.9% of the population, but I'm the 001 Let me tell you something. You couldn't be farther from the truth. You couldn't be farther from the truth in the center of God's plan because Christmas means everything can change. There might be that person that you've given up on because you haven't seen any life and you haven't seen any hope and you haven't seen any change in their life and you've been praying and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and you're about to give up on that. And God says just... Just hear me this morning. Christmas means anything can change, and he has a plan. And if you've been praying your hardest, Christmas, the story of Christmas, means everything can change. And this is this choice that John gives us. This is what Christmas means. It's not some fun holiday where we get off of work and we buy each other some junk. It, it, this is the most important thing that has ever happened in the creation of the universe. And John just leaves us with this one thought that 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 if that's true there's no in-between see so many of us we want to live in the in-between we like this time of year see we'll take jesus out of the attic with the other ornaments and we'll put them up on that shelf and, and i'm good with that for a couple times a year we'll take jesus out but then when we're done jesus you go back up in the attic with the rest of the stuff and john says no if this is true, that means that everything can change. Everything has changed. Everything's different. There's no. There's none of this in-between business. You're either all in or you're not. Jesus means that he's either a God, he either is who he says he is, and yet means that you change everything about you, the way you, you you work, the way that you parent, the way that you, you give to your church, the way you serve here, the way your entire life changes. If that is true, it's either he is really God and you should worship him with everything you are, your entire being. It should change everything about you or he's not. And he's just some ornament like a claymation reindeer that needs to go back up in the attic. And my question to you is this, is he that real to you? Have you ever really received this real Jesus that would become accessible, that would become vulnerable, that would become killable? I want you to bow your heads with me right now all over this place. And I, wanna, I want you to just consider this for a moment. Maybe, maybe you're here today and, and you never really received the kind of forgiveness I'm talking about the grace that's 100% free, free for you, free for me. And if you've never received that kind of forgiveness, I ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads, not to manipulate you in any way, but I just want to pray for you. I pray with you. The Bible says that Jesus is here, and he's knocking on the door of your heart, and if you'll open it up, he'll come in, and he'll dine with you. He'll be with you. If you're here and you've never received that kind of forgiveness, I'm not going to make you stand up or come to the front or anything like that. I just want to pray with you, but I want you to be bold in this moment. And if you say, that's me, I want you to lift up your hand. Go ahead and lift it up right now. God bless you. Yeah. Maybe you'd say this. I'm a follower of Jesus. But if I'm honest with you, I'm living in the in-between. I haven't really sold out. I haven't really made him the center of my life. And I want to pray with you too. Go ahead, lift up your hand. That's you. I want to make him. Yes, God bless you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who else? God bless you. I'm going all in today. God bless you. Yeah. Yes, yes. Right Here you are. We're going to pray this prayer together. All over this house, we're going to pray it. for. We're going to encourage those making this prayer for the very first time by praying it out loud all over this house. I want you to pray this with me. Pray it this way. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I surrender my life to you. I know that I've sinned, and I need a Savior. So I open up my heart to you now, and I invite you in. I believe in you. I trust you. And now I'll live for you. I'll never be the same from this moment forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Come on, give God praise in this house. Yes, thank you, God. Thank you, God.